So this morning I want to talk about living without regrets. And this is a topic or a subject that we all can apply in our lives, irrespective of our age or our situation. Now some might find themselves here further along in life, and therefore they, ha- they may have to deal with this a little differently than with others. Those that are younger, pay attention. I- I'm sorry we have most of our youth out today, because this really is a message for them. We go through life so many times and we bring in so many self-imposed problems that if we were thinking a little smarter, maybe a little bit longer-term thinking, we could avoid some of those self-imposed problems. That doesn't mean we're not going to have problems in life because problems are going to come. Whether you live a perfect life or not, problems are still going to come. But I want to talk this morning about living our lives without regret. And as I continue to introduce this topic, there are basically three groups here. There are those in the first group that have done some really bad things in their lives and have caused them to have major regrets. Major regrets. That's the fact of life. We can't change that. But there are those here today that have that, and we're going to speak about that in a minute, so hang on. Then there's a group here that says, I don't have any regrets. I lived my life pretty much regret-free. Well, we're going to talk to you too. And then there is the third group that says, I'm too young to have any regrets. (laughs) I haven't got there yet. And there's a lot to be said for that group as well. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about how we can live our life this morning without regrets. But here's one thing that all three groups have in common. This is the first day of the rest of your life. This is the first day of the rest of your life. No matter what group you're in, no matter if you're in the first group that you've really blown it, so you think, or the second group that thinks I haven't done anything wrong, or the third group that's too young to even get there, this is the first day of the rest of your life. God is a forgiving God. And it's amazing about God is that he's a forgetful God. Because when he forgives my sins... He no longer remembers my sins. And he no longer holds them against me. It doesn't mean that God can't. <laughs> God's not a, um, a, uh, he's not a, a God with dementia. <laughs> he just is so powerful, he can choose to forget what he wants to forget. And when he forgives, he forgets. He doesn't hold that against you any longer. So if you are one of these people that have had some bad things happen in your life, This is a good news message for you today. This is a message that says we serve a forgiving God. We serve a God that forgives, He restores, and He forgets. It's a great message. So therefore, those in group one, God is here to meet you today. He is here to meet you today. You do have a responsibility for yourself, and that is it's probably harder for you to forgive yourself than it is for God to forgive you. That's the problem. That's the problem, and that you have it, you're holding on to it. And who that person is that is telling you hold on to it is not God. He is the anti, everything anti of God, and he's not even God's equivalent. He is, he is Satan. And what he is telling you, he's bringing condemnation to you, so you need to stop. And you need to say, Satan, leave me alone, because I have been forgiven. And therefore, nothing is held against me any longer. So you can take authority over Satan and you can say no. So I encourage you today to do that. Group number two, this is a good group. These are people that have grown up in church for the most part. And, and, and yeah, we've all made mistakes. Nobody's perfect here. Nobody will say they are perfect. So I'm not insinuating that we have people here that think they're perfect because that's just craziness. But there are people, though, that have done a good job living regret-free lives. And that's really great to be commended for. But let me give you one word of advice. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. And that is, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Don't be too overconfident in your own abilities to live a regret-free life. Understand you still are dependent on Christ. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, and we, our independence comes through dependence on Christ. The only way that we're really independent is through dependency on Christ. So, group two, continue on. You've done a good job. You're doing a great job. I encourage you to continue on, but just make sure you know who your strength comes from. 
Number three, group number three, and this is probably the most important group here because they have the most to live for yet. That is the group that is so young that they don't recognize or they haven't made the mistakes yet. But the problem with this group, though, is that they think in many ways that they're above the rules and the rules are for somebody else. And uh, the reason I know that is because I can remember when I was one of them. <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago. But I know that when you're young and you're young and you're dumb, I don't, there's, no, there's no coincidence that those words rhyme. You're young and dumb. So understand that. And I don't mean that in a negative way, young person. But you're just naive. Understand that your life is really not yours to live. You are not invincible. You will face death someday, even though we just don't, you can't even imagine that because that's the furthest thing from your mind to think that someday I'm going to die. But someday you will. So how do you want to live your life, I guess are the questions. How, what level of quality are you looking for? And are you trying to get all that through what the world offers? And I'm here to call out this morning to you from my experiences, and I'm sure your parents would say the same things from their experiences, that the lure of the world is not worth it. It is not worth it. You may be saying to yourself, well, that's because you did it wrong. I've got the way to figure it out the right way. Well, I'm telling you right now, you don't. It's a lie from the enemy to think that you can figure out a way to get around the consequences if I couldn't. I tried my best to, and I can't. And so did your parents. So just learn from our lessons and let us help you as Jesus helps us all to live without regrets. Here's a little story that illustrates what I mean by this when we start playing with the devil and we start getting close to him and we start thinking we have a way to get around him. It says a young man was out on his manhood quest one fall day trying to decide what task he would undertake to, pro to prove his manhood. When he came upon a tall mountain topped with the first snow of the year, this will be my test, thinks the young man to himself as he started to climb. The climb was hard and long, but the young man completed his task. Then as he rested on top of the mountain, he heard a soft voice. Help me, it said. The young man looked for the voice, and there he found a rattlesnake dying in the snow. The snake pleaded with the young man to save him from the cold. But the young man said, No, Mr. Snake, for if I pick you up, you will bite me, and I'll be the one that dies. No, no, said the snake. I shall not harm the one who is, that is sent to save me. If I do, surely I shall die in this cold. The young man gave this some thought and decided to help the snake. So he picked up the snake, put him in his shirt, and started his lying, long climb down the mountain. When they reached the valley below, the young man removed the snake from his shirt and placed it gently on the ground. Then the snake struck and bit the man. Why did you bite me, pleaded the man. The snake just looked at him and said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. See, that snake did not lie. That snake was exactly who he was, a rattlesnake. Rattlesnakes bite people. And that young man knew that. So what the story is saying, young person or older person, don't be surprised when you play with the world and the evil thereof, even though it looks really good and it sounds so good and fun and everyone else is doing it, so it must be okay that when you get bit that you weren't warned. Now, I'm not saying you can't have fun. That's not what this is saying at all. You can have fun in the world. In fact, if you really want to have fun in the world, then live with no regrets. Then really have fun by keeping your heart pure before God. And then you will wake up the next morning and not have the regret of those that were living the high life. Does that make sense? Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Anybody been there? Yeah, amen. Know that the devil is a deceiver and a liar. John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. This is, really what I want to, this is the part I want you to concentrate on. For he was a murderer from the beginning 
That's the devil we're talking about. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Can it be said any more clearly than that? The devil is a liar. So why do we listen to him? If you know he's a liar, then why do you let him have time in your mind? James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you have an option. You have an out. You can't say the devil has me cornered and I can't get away from him. No, you can't say that. It says, if you submit yourselves, therefore, to God, and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Not because you're a man, because Jesus lives in you. Amen? It's the power of God. He sees the blood of Christ all over you. And when he sees the blood of Jesus on you, he has to flee. Stand your ground. Never let the enemy tempt you in any way, because in the end it will result in death. The enemy will never let you see the end result of the path that he tries to get you on because if he did, you would never even consider sinning against the Lord. Do you understand that? If you really saw the end, you would never consider sinning against the Lord if you really saw what your, what your result would be. But the devil is a deceiver. He's a liar. We've all heard all of the, the slogans. Go, you only go around once, so eat, drink, and be merry. Don't be afraid your life will end. Be afraid that it will never begin, said Grace Hansen. Albert Einstein says, learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. Time is all you have, and you may find one day that you have less than you think. Live every day as if it were your last, and then someday you'll be right. The key question to keep asking is, are you spending your time on the right things because time is all you have? Our goal should be then, living without regrets is a goal that we should set for our lives for all of our days. None of us, I'm sure, sets out in the morning saying to ourselves, I want to do something today that I will regret tomorrow. When was the last time you ever said that to yourself? Have you ever said, boy, I hope I say something stupid today? We all want to do things, however, that bring reward and fulfillment. We're quick to admit how fast time flies, and once it's gone, we can never redo it. We don't get any mulligans in life, for those that are golfers. We don't get a do-over. One time is what we get. Time comes and it goes without our permission. We can do nothing to slow it down or to speed it up. It is one of the constants in our life that is absolutely unchangeable. So with this stated, the one and only thing that we can do regarding time passing is to be sure that we are capturing it and using it in the most productive and meaningful way possible. If we really comprehended, I mean seriously, if we really comprehended how valuable time was, I don't think that any of us would be so quick to waste it. We waste time. And it is the most valuable commodity that we can ever have. And then when we waste time comes regret. It makes it so much easier to live without major regrets when I learn to think long term. Having the ability to, to, to think long term is absolutely critical. In fact, I guess I would say that to really live without regrets requires, not suggests requires one to think long-term. A short-term approach to life concentrates on living for the moment, and thus short-term actions don't have the same impact as long-term consequences. For example, if I was to give you $1,000 to invest today, if you only plan to have it for a short time, then interest rates wouldn't interest you very much. But if you're going to plan to invest that over time, then you would go for the highest possible interest rate you could get. Because compound interest is one of the most powerful forces on earth. 
because it keeps compounding. If I have a long-term plan for that, then I will invest it wisely with a high interest rate. The same principle applies in our life. If I'm only interested in what the results of my actions are for today, then what I do today isn't very important. But if I understand the actions have long-term consequences and associated regret, then it should make me reconsider my actions today because what I do does matter. I may think about the future, but how much am I really willing to give today to make it fulfilling? I may think about it. I may recognize it. But am I really living for it? It's a good question, isn't it? Example number two. I'm in love with my girlfriend. In fact, we've even talked. I'm really married. This is just an example. Okay. Um, this is for the younger kids. I wish they were here again. But I'm in love with my girlfriend. In fact, we've even talked about getting married, and I'm really, really, really interested in being with her. I mean, I really love her. Basically, I want it all now. After all, we are in love. We have a committed relationship, and we love each other. What could go wrong? It seems so right. It just seems so right that I spend as much time with her as I can, and I have no boundaries. By the way, we're engaged. It's just a matter of time. It's not long after that kind of thinking sets in that we begin to justify our short-term wants and turn them into actions. We end up going too far, only thinking about the short-term pleasure for the moment. And in the process, she becomes pregnant or we catch a sexually transmitted disease. See, by thinking about the pleasure of the moment more than the long-term consequences of what may result, I have just ruined or at least made a life-changing decision based on a short-term desire. What happens in the next nine months? Well, the baby grows. I have a baby now. Or I have an STD that I have to deal with. I have AIDS. All because I was thinking short-term. Life's actions have its consequences. It doesn't matter what I think about it. The consequences of my actions are irrespective of who I am or what I think. The results are still going to happen. No matter who I am, I can't stop that. Let's take the same couple that's in love here and let's pretend that they have, a, that they have good character and that they think about the consequences of their actions before they, before they participate in the acts. Maybe it's hard for them to do because they're so close and, and it's so difficult and the temptations are so strong, but yet they can say no, and they do, even though they're very tempted, and they're both determined to stop before it's too late. What happens to them in nine months? Well, there's no baby to deal with. There is no STD to have to get treatment for. And if they truly were in love in the first place, they are that much closer to planning their wedding day the way God intended it to be with a pure heart. And here's a consequence that many of us don't think about, but is really important. And what happens if they weren't really in love after all? And they didn't marry each other. Because, by the way, most of them don't. They don't have regret and the baggage of past sexual sins that they take with them into their new married life with the one that God really has intended for them. There's so many positives about thinking long-term. You will never regret a godly decision. You will never regret saying no to sin. You will never regret that. But I will tell you right now, you will regret immediately when you say yes to sin. You may not see the consequences for a while, but in your heart, that comes pretty quickly, doesn't it? When Adam and Eve sinned, remember every day God would come down in, in the cool of the day and walk in the garden with them. And immediately the next day, or might even been that same day, we don't, we're not giving the time frame, but after the sin occurred... God came down in his regular fashion, and where was Adam and Eve? They weren't anywhere to be found, were they? Because immediately the guilt of sin set in, and they said, I cannot walk with God. I cannot have fellowship with the perfect God because I have sinned. 
Let's take another example that may be a little more applicable to most of us sitting here today. A man or a woman has a decision to make in how they spend the 24 hours they have every day. Every person has the exact same amount of time. It doesn't make any difference if you're the richest man alive or the poorest. You both have 24 hours a day. The only difference is how you spend it and what you spend it on. Let's take a normal person's daily schedule, just like the examples given above. If you're basing your decisions on what you do with your time on any given day for a short-term return, then it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference if you spend the time or make the choice in your own personal devotional life or not, meaning reading the Bible and praying. But just like any other consequence, most of the time, unless it results in a tragic accident, the consequences of your repeated actions come over an extended period of time. And that's very deceiving because you can skip a day or two or three of Bible reading and prayer time, getting that one-on-one time before God. Remember how we talked about that a few weeks ago? If the first time that you have one-on-one time with God is on the judgment day, it's a little bit too late. You want to have some one-on-one time before then. You want to practice the time with God beforehand. So when you do get there one-on-one before God, He already knows who you are. If you habitually ignore this time in the day, if you just can't find time to fit it in, your day schedule is too hectic, I'm here to tell you this morning that just like every other action or lack of action, there will be consequences. Luke chapter 16 Verses 19 through 31 is a real graphic example of the consequences. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they also, that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced if some, even if someone raises from the dead. How does this make you feel this morning? Who are you associating with in this passage of Scripture this morning? Are you feeling more like Lazarus or more like the rich man? And I'm not talking about money here. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about an attitude of the heart. Jesus talked a lot about money, but he always wanted the heart. He didn't really want the money. He doesn't need the money. He needs the heart. So that's what we're talking about here this morning. How are you acting today? If God were to call you home right now, would you be Lazarus or would you be the rich man? Are you living your life this morning with the attitude that what I do here and now is my business and my choice and no man or no God is going to tell me how to spend my time? Well, that's a pretty dangerous position if you're taking that one. And how do you know? How do you know if that's a position that you're taking? Well, let me give you a clue. Right now, if you feel a little sense of pushback, that I'm, who am I to tell you that? Who am I to stand up here and to say that? It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling something within you to say, who is this man telling me what I should do? Understand what voice that you're listening. Understand where that's coming from. We just said he's a liar. We just said he is a deceiver of men. 
We just said there is nothing good in him. Check your spirit and be sure that you're listening to the right spirit so that you don't have regrets. How do we know, how do we manage our life so that we don't have regrets? Number one, recognize who we are in relation to the creator of time. And then come to him as he instructs us to with childlike faith. Put away. Put away that adult thinking, that adult mentality like I can figure it out on my own. I can do it my way. Put that away. And understand how important it is that you come with childlike faith. And I'm going to read a story about that in a minute. But I want to continue on with my other list of helpful suggestions. Number, continuing on, understand that we are in a battle for our time. We're talking about battles on Wednesday nights. I really hope you'd come Wednesday nights and listen to Dr. David Jeremiah as we go into a study on spiritual warfare. And understanding that we are in a battle today. You are a warrior today. Whether you realize it or not, if you're a Christian, you are a warrior. You're, you're in a battle. Understand who the battle is with. And then we need to know who that enemy is. Understand that we can win the battle if we understand the rules. To win the battles begins by asking for and applying God's saving grace. Remember what grace is? What is grace? It's the power to change. It's the power that gives us that, yes, it covers my indiscretions. Yes, it forgives me, but it gives me the power to change my life so that I don't go back and repeat the same sin over and over and over again. That's not grace. That's a trampling of grace when we do that. So grace, when you really understand and apply grace, it is the power of change. God is so powerful that he can, he can help me. He can give me the power to change through the power of the Holy Spirit living within me. That is the major benefit for Christians today. And that's why I think that we need to, as Pentecostal church, we need to constantly be seeking the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we apply him in our lives. Yes, can people go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But do you want to go in with less than what you have to? Why not go in by storm? Why not take it by storm? Why not go in with boldness like Peter had when the day of Pentecost came and the power fell on them? They were bold in their speaking. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. And don't you want that? We can gain power to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we must determine to live our lives holy and set apart. Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16 talks about little children this is how we need to come before God. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Isn't it amazing how Jesus understood the significance of receiving the things of God as a child receives it. Isn't it amazing? Even though a child may not think long-term thoughts, his innocence of faith and believing makes the difference. The problem is that as adults, we lose that innocence and that unwavering faith and we replace it with our own selfish desires and agendas, thinking that we can beat the system and use it for our own benefit at the expense of others and even God. I have a story that I want to read. It talks about coming to Jesus as a faith of a, of, a, of a young child. It says, God lives under the bed. <laughs> I, I got this from, uh, actually, I got this from Bob Moody. I envy Kevin. My brother Kevin thinks God lives under his bed. At least that's what I heard him say one night. He was praying out loud in his dark bedroom, and I stopped to listen. Are you there, God? He said under the bed. I giggled softly and tiptoed off to my own room. Kevin's unique perspectives are often a source of amusement. But that night, something else lingered long after the humor. I realized for the first time the very different world Kevin lives in. He was born 30 years ago, mentally disabled, as a result of difficulties during labor. Apart from his size, he's six foot two. There are few ways in which he is an adult. He reasons and communicates with the capabilities of a seven-year-old, and he always will. He will probably always believe that God lives under his bed, that Santa Claus is the one who fills the space under every tree, and that airplanes stay up in the sky because angels carry them. 
I remember wondering if Kevin realizes he is different. Is he ever dissatisfied with his monotonous life? Up before dawn each day, off to work at a workshop for the disabled, home to walk our cocker spaniel, return to eat his favorite macaroni and cheese for dinner, and later to bed. The only variation in the entire scheme is laundry when he hovers excitedly over the washing machine like a mother with her newborn child. He does not seem dissatisfied. He lopes out to the bus every morning at 7.05, eager for a day of simple work. He wrings his hands excitedly while the water boils on the stove before dinner, and he stays up late twice a week to gather our dirty laundry for his next day's laundry chores. And Saturdays, oh, the bliss of Saturdays, that's the day my dad takes Kevin to the airport to have a soft drink, watch the planes land, and speculate loudly on the destination of each passenger inside. That one's going to Chicago, Kevin shouts as he claps his hands. His anticipation is so great he can hardly sleep on Friday nights, and he goes... And so goes his world of daily rituals and weekend field trips. He doesn't know what it means to be discontent. His life is simple. He will never know the entanglements of wealth or power, and he does not care what kind of brand of clothing he wears or what kind of food he eats. His needs have always been met, and he never worries that one day they may not be. His hands are diligent. Kevin is never so happy as when he's working. When he unloads a dishwasher or vacuums a carpet, his heart is completely in it. He does not shrink from a job when it's begun, and he does not leave a job until it is finished. But when his tasks are done, Kevin knows how to relax. He is not obsessed with his work or the work of others. His heart is pure. He still believes everyone tells the truth. Promises must be kept. And when you are wrong, you apologize instead of argue. Free from pride and unconcerned with appearances, Kevin is not afraid to cry when he is hurt, angry, or sorry. He is always transparent, always sincere, and he trusts God. Not confined by intellectual reasoning, when it comes to Christ, he says as a child, Kevin seems to know God, to really be friends with him in a way that is difficult for an educated person to grasp. God seems like his closest companion. In my moments in doubt and frustrations with my Christianity, I envy the security Kevin has in his simple faith. It is then that I am most willing to admit that he has some divine knowledge that rises above my moral questions. It is then I realize that perhaps he is not the one with the handicap. I am. My obligations, my fear, my pride, my circumstances, they all become disabilities when I do not trust them to God's care. Who knows if Kevin comprehends things I can never learn. After all, he has spent his whole life in that kind of innocence, praying after dark and soaking up the soaking up the goodness and love of God. And one day when the mysteries of heaven are opened and we are all amazed at how close God really is to our hearts, I'll realize that God heard the simple prayers of a boy who believed that God lived under his bed. Kevin won't be surprised at all. Isn't that, doesn't that describe what our hearts should be? Doesn't that describe what a, a, a mature, listen to me, a mature Christian's heart should be? Why does maturity have to come with our own stubbornness? Why? I think that we all know today that our common enemy is the devil, and his attack on us is to devour us. He wants to devour us. First Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking looking for someone to devour. Now, how can he devour us? He can't physically eat me. He can't physically eat you today. But he can devour our influence. He can devour our faith. He can devour every good thing that God would want to give to me. He can devour that. And he can devour our time and our choices. Understand that the devil really isn't concerned at all about what I'm doing today. He has no interest in my feelings he, he doesn't care if I'm happy or sad. He just doesn't have any concern for my day today. What he is after is my future. And it's not a good one either. He doesn't care if I'm satisfied with my job. He doesn't care if I love my wife and my family. He doesn't care. He just wants to destroy it. What he doesn't want me to do is live in a place in eternity that he was thrown out of. See, he was kicked out of heaven. He knows the, the splendor. He knows the bliss. He knows the happiness. He knows what it is to be God's created angel. He knows what it is to live in heaven. And he does not want me or you to live there because he can't. He's limited. He knows that he is bound for hell. 
And it's a fiery, burning hell. And you know, our society is stopping to talk about hell. We don't realize it, but slowly our society is not preaching it. We preach in heaven, we believe in heaven, and how good that is, but we just have a problem thinking that God could create hell. That's a whole other topic, but I believe in hell. I don't want to go there, but I believe in her. Therefore, my goal and my agenda should be always the decisions that will never cost me my eternity with God in heaven. The enemy always wants to take that away. The difference is, is that God, he is concerned about my today. He is concerned about how I live. He is concerned about my happiness. He is concerned about my family. He is concerned about my prosperity. He is concerned about my health. And at the same time, he's concerned about my future. See, with God, I can have my cake and eat it too. I really can, and so can you. You can have the fullness of life today with limited regrets and have the hope of the future. Luke chapter 10, verses 18 through 20 says, He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is Jesus speaking. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I love this passage because this is telling me that Jesus is giving me the power to defeat Satan. I have the power to defeat Satan through Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, okay, be happy in that. Because if that's all there was, there wouldn't be a whole lot left to live for. But what he's saying is, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, he's saying, know that you have a future, and your future is with me because I have given you the power to destroy Satan. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the difference between serving the world and serving Jesus. We, we win here, and we win in the end. Why would anyone in his or her right mind not want to live in this promise? We win both places. I want to be like Paul. Paul, I believe, was a great example of a man that knew what it was like to have no regret in his future. Paul poured himself out. Paul gave of himself. Was Paul's life easy? No. Paul was shipwrecked many times. Paul was beaten and left for dead. He knew what it was to have plenty, and he knew what it was to be hungry. Paul knew what real persecution was. So nobody can say Paul was saying these things because Paul had the easy life. Paul's life was a lot more difficult than our life. But yet Paul had the right attitude when it came to living. And he came to dying. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul is speaking, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul knew what it was like to live today for tomorrow. Do you? Do I? This is clearly the cry of a man with no regrets. We've all heard the sports analogy of playing so hard in the game that they left it all on the court. They gave 110%. That's Paul. That's what Paul's talking about. For those that still don't believe the message, for those that still here are battling the issue, the Bible is very clear about hell and that it is a real place and it is a terrible place and it will last forever. It was designed for Satan and the falling angels and for those that chose for themselves to reject God, their choice. Revelations chapter 20, verses 10 through 15 says, And the devil who deceived them, there's that devil, there's that deceiver, 
was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We all have the choice today to make heaven our home or not. But most of us in this building today have a lot of living to do before that day comes. And I'm not going to make this message about salvation today. That's not the point. I'm not trying to scare anybody into heaven or scare them out of hell. But what I'm trying to do is this. I'm trying to encourage us all this morning to live our life tomorrow, Monday, thinking about my long-term consequences. Because when I can think about my life long-term, it helps me make good short-term decisions. See, if we called everyone up here this morning and had a salvation message, that'd be really great. Let's say none of you were saved, and you all raised your hand, and you all came down here, and you all got saved, and you all got you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's great. And that is good. But tomorrow's decisions are more important in many ways than today's. Because what you do tomorrow with what you get today is, is really important. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that God doesn't protect us, because he does. But I'm also not a believer in once saved, always saved. I believe that we have to maintain our level of relationship with Jesus if we're going to make heaven. We have to live every day with Jesus. Every day he has to be supreme in our life. Every day he has to be the top dog in my life. Every day. Why wouldn't I want him there? We just spoken about how we can win win with Jesus. Why would we not want him as a first place in our life? I don't understand that. I don't understand why we are so so short-term thinking so often that we can't think the perspective of a win-win. I win short and I win long. What a blessing. Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. In other words, every day you have to work out your salvation every day. That's not a burden. That's not legalism. That is not a list of rules. That is a relationship with the Almighty God. Why would we not want that? I would say that there is one regret that we probably all will have. Even though, even after living a life regret-free, I think there's going to be one regret that we're all going to have when we finally get to heaven, for those that make it to heaven. I'll tell you what, if you don't make heaven, you're going to have one major regret. I'll tell you that right now. But assuming you get to heaven... I think we're going to have one regret, and that is I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough when I had the time. I didn't do enough when I had the chance. I didn't speak up for Jesus on the job when I had a chance. I didn't speak up in school when I had the chance. That's the one regret that I think we'll have for a fleeting instant. (laughs) And then thank God he's going to take my regrets away from me. Because then I'm going to have crowns of righteousness. I'm going to be like Paul, and I'm going, to have, I'm going to have crowns of righteousness, and I'm going to fill that crown up with everything that I've done here. Understand that you will be rewarded, for you will be judged according to what you have done. So what your actions do are, they are important what you do do. And you will fill that crown up with all the things that you've done, with good intentions, with godly minds, being heavenly effective, through earthly relevance, as our mission statement is. And then you're going to take that crown, and you're going to throw it at the feet of Jesus. 
And you're going to say, because you did this for me, I've given it all back to you. What a blessing that will be. What a day that will be. Do we not want to live without regrets? Jackie, if you'd come, please. Where is your heart this morning? Matthew 6, 19-21 will give you a clue. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to find your treasure? Find your heart. Are you chasing after the world? Are you chasing after the things of the world to the, to the expense of not storing up in heaven? We can have fun. I am not a proponent of being sad. I am really saying we can have fun. We can have more fun as Christian people than the world can ever even think of having fun because I have no regrets after the fact. That is fun. That is happiness. That is joy. And we have that. We have it. But where are you this morning with it? As we close this morning, the service, I'd like to have us all just close our eyes for a minute. If everyone would just close your eyes. I'm going to read a couple things, and I want you to think about it. Imagine with me, if you will, go down a few years down the road with me. And this is not morbid, but I want you to think about it. It's your funeral. What do you want people to say about you? How do you want them to remember you? Are you living your life today so that they will say the things that you want them to say? Now is the day. Now is the time. And then go one step further and imagine that first breath of air in eternity. Where will it be for you is my first question. Will it be heaven or hell? Who's going to be welcoming you that moment of death? Is it going to be an angel or is it going to be a demon? It will be one of the two. Right then, instantly, you take that last breath, you will have an angel or a demon that will be ushering you into eternity. Based on how you're living this morning, which one will it be? Assuming that it's heaven, now imagine the first time you look in the eyes of Jesus. Will you be happy to tell him you gave him everything in your life? Can you honestly say to him, Jesus, I loved you with all my heart, mind, soul, and body? Everything? That you gave him 110%? You left it all in the court. <laughs> Are you living your life now so that you can say that? And then comes finally the day of judgment where you stand before God. And he is giving out final rewards. What will yours be? You see, these are all good questions to ask. And we should be thinking about them on a regular basis. I'm not bringing condemnation today. I'm bringing hope to you today. Because while you have breath, you have opportunity to change. Like we said at the very beginning of the service, this is the first day of the rest of your life. No matter what you did before, no matter what issues you had in your life, this is the first day of the rest of your life. What are you doing today? Are you living without regrets? We're going to sing the song that Jackie's playing. And while we sing it, I want to open the altars. If you want to come and pray, you're welcome to come and pray. But I, but I really want you to think more about tomorrow. Please do not forget this message. Please do not forget what was being said today. Please think long term. So that you will go through this life with as few regrets as possible. And certainly not the major regret. So as we sing, after the song is over, you're dismissed. But if you want to pray, 
If you want to come and spend some time with the Lord this morning, the altars are open. Thanks, Jackie. Sign, please. Father, we thank you for this day today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the call one more time that you've given to us. We thank you for the opportunity that we have today to have one more breath. And Lord, I pray that we would leave this place today really with the understanding that this is the first day of the rest of my life. And Lord, for all those treasures that I have stored in heaven for my past, they're there. But Lord, I have today and I have tomorrow to continue to live. And, Lord, help us to do so without regret. Help us to leave it all on the, on the field of this earth. Lord, that we would do everything we can to impact others, to create hunger in others' lives. Lord, I pray for our families. I pray for our kids. I pray for our parents. I pray for those that may have lost loved ones, Father. Lord, I pray that you would give us a burden, Lord, for them, that we would continue to lift them up continuously before you. And we recognize who you are, our creator and our all-providing God, that you love us so much. Go with us today now. Give us a great day. Lord, help us to have fun, Lord, unbridled fun today and recognizing that we are celebrating who you are in this earth as we do things, Father, without regret and we live for you totally. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed this morning. Thank you. The altars are open if you want to pray.